This morning, um, wherever you are, if you have a Bible near you, I invite you to open them to Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. Um, This is Luke's telling of Christ's birth. Um, Matthew and Luke both have more of the narrative. Matthew follows Joseph a bit more. Luke um, follows Mary and the shepherds more. Um, So Luke chapter 2, 1 through 7 is the Christmas birth story that we'll read this morning. But also, it's only a couple books later in John chapter 1. Um, John 1, we're not going to read all of it, but we're going to focus in on John 1.14 this morning as well. So have that one in your ear and ready, um, but we're going to read from Luke 2, 1 through 7 for our primary reading this morning. But before we do so, uh, we're going to pray, because what we believe is that when we gather, when we open our Bibles, it's more than just words on the page or pixels on the screen. We invite the Holy Spirit to open the word to us, that it's not living and active on its own, but that God's Holy Spirit moves through the word to connect to our hearts, where we need to be challenged and encouraged. And so today, we're going to pray for God's blessing upon the word before we turn to it together. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, bring life to these texts today, today, this morning. Breathe new life into that which might be familiar to us. Speak fresh to us today words that maybe are distantly familiar, maybe words that we've heard many times over the years or in the last few days. Breathe your living and active breath into these words this morning. Open our hearts and our minds to what you would have us receive. This, we know, is you at work, O God. And so we pray on this Christmas day that you may be at work in all of the ways that we need the most. May you work on us through your Holy Spirit, and may you open the word to us as an important step of that. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Luke chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And also, just one verse from John chapter 1, where Luke tries to give us more of the the historic identifying times of, okay, who was governor at which point, getting the geography and the history right. John is not as worried about those details. John wants to make sure that we don't miss the spiritual significance of what is happening. And so in this chapter that starts with, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, identifying that, that Christ our Savior is part of God, equally God, 
of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and have been here since the very beginning. But we're going to turn just to verse 14, which is the spiritual significance, a turn that human history takes. John chapter 1, verse 14. The Word, referring to Christ, the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Once again, this is the Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I was looking up um, just how many dollars worth of sales there have been in video games this year. Um, and don't worry, we're not going to trash video games. So if you spent the last couple snow days playing something, don't worry. You're not going to get shamed this morning here for that. It's probably a really good choice, maybe. Um, but when I was looking up, I was estimating in the millions, of course, because, I mean, I'm not a super economically-minded person. Of course, I quickly discovered, um, looking through different things, the video game industry is a multi-billion dollar industry. It's huge. And there's reason for that, isn't there? Um, within video games, you get a little bit of an escape, right? Um, if you're playing a video game, whether it's, a, whether it's strategy or whether it's a first person, whether you're off fighting in some foreign land or whether you're going on some adventure in a completely fiction world, video games give us a little bit of an escape. Something is, is different and we can enter into a different character. We can pretend to be someone else. We can be someone else and we can explore the world, we can go and do things um, that we probably can't do in real life. Um, it is amazing how good of a shot you can become on a video game. Amazing how fast hunting can happen or how easy farming is on video games. Real life tasks that otherwise take lots of practice and effort, um, the games will do a lot of the work for you. It's amazing how cool you can be when you are a video game character. Or maybe if you're like me, you tend towards a strategy game. Um, it's amazing how you can just take control of the whole world so easily in just a matter of turns. Thinking of board games like Risk turned into more complicated video games in our time, we have a sense of control that we can exercise over our little world when we're sitting in the seat um, playing a game, whether it be on our phone, on a console, whatever the case may be. And I'm not saying that that's all bad either. Sometimes it sparks a bit of imagination, doesn't it? It gives us a little bit of relief. There is a reason that there are video game consoles in almost every children's hospital in the U.S. In part, you're passing time. You're in this more stimulating environment, and you're exercising a little bit of control over a game that perhaps you've lost that control in real life. There is great appeal. Growing up, having a cousin uh, with cystic fibrosis who had to do daily breathing treatments we would sit next to each other and that he got more screen time than any of us cousins because when he was doing his treatments, and it was kind of hard to read because the vest was shaking, he got to play video games. Sometimes I was a little bit jealous because I didn't really understand maybe why that exception was made. Video games give us an outlet, a different way to enter into a different world, a world where we can make our own choices, where we can be really good at stuff that maybe we're not so good at in real life, and 
I think the best part, the best part why video games are so much fun is that if you make a mistake, there's no consequences. Because you probably just go back to the last part where everything was okay, you saved your progress there. If you made some mistakes, if things go bad, just go back. If you lose a life, no big deal. You'll go back to the earlier part in the game, it'll all be fine. If your character gets hurt in the video game, you don't feel any pain. You just kind of watch them fall. I mean, growing up playing Zelda games, Link would jump off a cliff and he'd make this shuddering noise when he hit the ground. And I thought, oh man, that was mean. I should probably not do that again to my poor character. But I felt no pain. And I will say this, friends. If video games ever do make you feel the pain that your character experiences, I think that'll hurt the industry really bad. And I don't know if that would actually be a good idea. Although, maybe we should run around a little bit more while we play. But there's no consequences to video games. You're removed from it. You can watch what's happening to your character, but you're not connected to it. You're not impacted by the decisions and the world in that game. It cannot hurt you. It's kept at a distance. It cannot hurt you. And this is where the appeal is at. And this is what's different about Jesus coming into the world. The Word made flesh. The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. God was not playing games when Jesus Christ was born into the world. This was not some far-off thing where God kind of crafted a little avatar character for him to play as if this world was just a game for God to play in. God was not playing games when the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus was born into the world. The Word took on flesh, which means Jesus was not free of pain in this world. If Jesus was injured, it was not as if there was a Jesus version in heaven that looked down and said, ooh, that probably hurt, but good thing it didn't hurt me. No, when Jesus would stub his toe, it would hurt just like you and I would hurt. When Jesus would be crucified, it was not from a distance far off, but the very word made flesh, God who was born and took on our human flesh, who became like one of us, vain he left his glory by. Jesus felt our pain. Jesus experienced the world as we experience the world. Not from a distance, not removed, not as if he was playing games, but Christ took on flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus was here among us. And this should not be lost on us, that the fact that the word was made flesh and dwelt among us that Luke helps us identify a, a historic point in time where Jesus was born into the world is a reminder of God's great commitment to the world. And Christmas Day is a day when we remember the next chapter in God's redeeming story of this world that he so dearly loves. That God is not far off, but Emmanuel, God is with us. And God experiences the hurt in the world just as we do. Now, in video games, if you lose a life, no big deal. You move on. There's not really any impact or effect. But here on earth, when we lose lives, it hurts us. And here at North Holland, we have lost lives. I'm reminded that last Sunday, 
we had flowers up front next to the pulpit from Amanda Westhouse's funeral. This Sunday, we have flowers left over from Marlene Vandenbosch's funeral. And undoubtedly, next Sunday, we'll have some flowers from Amy DeCryder's funeral. This is three Sundays in a row that we're exiting out of a funeral week. And yet we come here together today to worship, to worship again. And we feel the pain of loss, of lives lost. And yet we still gather with hope and peace and joy and love because Christ has never stopped being committed to us, nor to those whom we love. We remember that Christ experienced the world as we experience the world. That when he was on his way to see his friend Lazarus who had died, when he came to the tomb, even knowing that Jesus was about to raise Lazarus from the dead, to call him forth from the grave as a, as a preview, as a foretelling of what Jesus would do when he would rise triumphant from the grave. When Jesus came to the tomb of Lazarus, he wept. Because this is not some game that God was playing. God experienced the joy and the pain of this world just as we do when God was born into the world on Christmas Day. Jesus wept because lives lost hurt us. And yet in Christ, on this Christmas Day, when we remember that Jesus was born into the world, it was not without purpose. This is the next chapter in God's emerging story of redemption, that Christ was born into the world to live, to teach, to heal, to feed, to show us the way, the truth, and to be our light, and that Christ would be born into this world to die for us, the righteous death that we could not live on our own, and to rise again for us, triumphant over the grave in a victory that we ourselves could never win on our own. And so this Christmas day, I invite you with the gospel of John, the word made flesh dwelt among us, and with our modern knowledge of video games, how we can play and experience things from a distance, to remember and to cherish and to reflect on and not take for granted that when Christ was born into the world, God wasn't playing games. God was here for real. God was here for keeps. And God was here to keep us, to hold us dearly, and to never leave us or forsake us, even to the end of the age. When Jesus was born into the world, it was not some easy life that he was signing up for either. He emptied himself of glory. He was born in a stable and laid in a manger because there was no room in the inn. The first people to visit him were shepherds, he was not born in the nicest of places, and he did not grow up in the nicest of neighborhoods, but rather he grew up poor and yet with joy. He grew up knowing God's word, saying, speak to us today, O God, speak to us your truth. Jesus Christ did all of this because God is not far off from us, that our pain is known that when the book of Hebrews explains to us this Jesus who was born into the world, who lived and died and rose again for us, that we're told that we do not have a high priest who is far off, who does not see the world as we do, but rather we have a great high priest who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. 
we have a great high priest in Christ, born into a humble stable and laid in a manger. And yet he did this because of his love and commitment to us, to all of the world. For it is because God so loved the world that he sent his only son, Jesus Christ, not to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. God was playing for real. God was not playing games. He was in it for real. I think about the commitments that we make in life, even the ones that are hard, even the ones that are painful. For some folks, that might be the understanding of of a marriage that you stay committed, that you know your spouse's flaws better than anyone else, and yet your commitment to them means more to you than all of the flaws do. Certainly, Caitlin, probably for the right price, could give you a great list of some of my flaws. I don't think she would very quickly, but... And yet, the commitment keeps us in it. I think about when I explain to people, um, and if you're not from North Holland, that's fine, but when I explain to people what I get to do, who I get to be among, and I explain to maybe new seminary students or new guests or family members what it's like to be at North Holland, I get overcome with this optimism and love of like, I just love these people and this place and the ministry that we get to do here, and it's good, and it fills me with life and joy. And I know the flaws of this place and among our people pretty well, too. We get to experience our moments of immaturity, of grief, of lack of communication, of frustration. I know all that pretty well, too. And yet, the commitment gives life and joy. If that's a little bit of how I feel or how I hear teachers talk about their schools or how I hear um, folks in the medical profession talk about the hospitals that they work in, even though that's pretty high fatigue there as well, there's that commitment and joy. How much more does God have that commitment and joy knowing the flaws of this world better than we know them, knowing it with perfect omniscience, and yet his commitment to dwell among us, to take on our flesh, to experience the world as we do, was joy, was joy to Christ to dwell among us. So friends, this Christmas day, wherever you are, wherever you're going to go, remember that God was not playing games. This was not some virtual experience. This was not short-lived, but that Jesus took on flesh was born into a human body here on this earth, experienced growing pains and all of the things that we do. And yet, what was it that brought Christ to us? Was it obligation? Was it dedicated service? Was it a good work ethic? No. We heard it already in our wreath reading. It was love because God is love. And it was love that came on the first Christmas day and dwelt among us to be our peace, to give us hope, to be the source of our joy, and to not be far off in our time of pain. Friends, Christ was born into the world this day. May we celebrate that news. May we cherish the good news of Christ's birth, knowing that it is the opening chapter to the gospel of salvation through Jesus Christ's death and resurrection from the grave. Christ is born today. Amen.
Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, you were born into the world out of love for us. And as we remember to be greeted by angels and shepherds, that as we've sung, hark the herald angels sing, as we've been invited, oh come all ye faithful, knowing that we are not faithful on our own, but that you, O oh Lord, are perfectly faithful and perfectly righteous, and you invite us to come and be with you because you came and were with us. And so as we celebrate this Christmas day, as we celebrate your nearness, your closeness, as we think of, our, as we think of our own pain that we carry this day, Lord, we remember that you are not far off or distant from us, but in your love, you crossed the cosmos to come and dwell in Bethlehem in Judea, to grow up in the streets of Nazareth in Galilee, to die on a hill just outside of Jerusalem, and to rise again from the empty grave. Lord, you are love. You are the source of our joy. It is in you that we find peace, and you are our hope, both in your first coming on Christmas Day and the hope of your second coming, when you shall return and make all things new when you shall complete this great movement of redemption, when the deaf will hear, the blind will see, the mute will speak, the lame will walk, and as Revelation 21 tells us, that there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things will have passed away, and that you will wipe every tear from our eyes, tears that you know exactly what it's like to shed. Lord, in your love, we give you thanks this day this Christmas day. Amen.